0: Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. If you turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 6, if you would, please. Galatians chapter 6. While you're looking at that, I have a couple more wonderful quotes from that great Will Rogers, okay? It's, this one says, if you find yourself in a hole, stop digging. The quickest way to double your money is to fold it over and put it back in your pocket. Good judgment comes from experience, and a lot of it comes from bad judgment. All right. Galatians chapter 6. We are finishing our wonderful journey through a marvelous book. One of my favorites. Start at verse 11 out of chapter 6. It says, See what large letters I use as I write you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of Christ, Jesus our Lord, whom which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision or uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to Israel's God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you in spirit, brothers. Amen. Here we are at the end. Closing this letter. Within this letter, Paul has been doing battle with what we call the legalists, and they were called Judaizers. And over and over again, he has shown that a person who is living in a legalistic system and a Christian who is under grace and freedom are the opposite of each other. They are opposed to each other. It's not the matter of two different ways or opinions of looking at salvation or the doctrine of salvation, but two radically different ways of life. It's a choice between bondage or freedom. A choice of being controlled by sinful human nature or being controlled by the Spirit of God. Now, if you were to listen to any legalist, they would tell you that they live by faith. In fact, I think you would hear most of them say, I'm super spiritual because I have this list of things I do or don't do to, to define myself. But in reality, when they do that, they are living by the flesh and in the flesh. They are living in confidence of of the law. They are living with the confidence of that list of things they do or do not do. And the bottom line is, that is not biblical at all. In fact, their faith really happens to be in their religious works in their rituals that they go through, the ceremonies they participate in. They do not rest in the completed work what Christ did on the cross. Now this section of the book of Galatians is easily divided into two parts here. The first half talks about the legalist and, and what they want and then the second half talks about the fact that a Christian is to boast in the cross of Christ. So let's just take a few moments this morning and and look at those two areas. If you notice there, the legalist wants praise. starts out talking about that in verse 11. And Paul starts this, and it's interesting. This is unique here alone in his letters. Paul uses his own handwriting to write this last paragraph. He always used a scribe, and and he would just sign his letters. But here he writes this last paragraph. uh, And he writes, and notice the large letters I'm writing in. And and a lot of people think that Paul's thorn in the flesh happened to be poor eyesight. Uh, But I don't believe that's the case here at all, whether it was eyesight or not. Warren Wiersbe makes this statement. He says, he is saying, look, don't miss what I'm saying right here. Don't miss this. This is so important. The Judaizers were were people who were continually saying, look at me. Look how super spiritual I am. They wanted to make a good show, if I can put it that way. They wanted praise from people that were around them. They wanted to brag on the number of people that they got to join in with them in their legalism. They were not wanting to seek praise for what Christ did. And you know, we live in a world very similar to that today. We live in a world where where people are trying to get to heaven on one of two ways. One way is the way Jesus and the Word of God tells us. The other way, and I'm going to just put it bluntly, is religion. And I don't care what religion you're talking about. There's only two ways that people try to get to heaven. God's way or a human way. And God has been very clear to us in his word that Jesus is the only way for salvation. It is the cross of Christ. It's what Christ did on that cross. Salvation comes by on what Jesus did. When Jesus was on the cross, one of the last words he mentioned, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, John 19, 30 says. The writer of the book of Hebrews affirms that in a very wonderful way in chapter 10, starting with verse 11. Follow along as I read it. It says, day after day, priests stand and perform their religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, referring to Christ, had offered for All time, one sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God the Father. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice he made, has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The writer there of Hebrews reemphasizes the fact there's only one way. One way, and that's Jesus. It's the cross and the message of the cross. Human religions come in all sizes and shapes and types, but they all have one thing in common, works. What a person is doing or seems to be doing or has done to gain favor with God. It always boils down to works. Human achievement, what I've done on my own, my own merits, within my own power. A person is always doing something in hopes of making them acceptable to God. What Paul is saying here in this text, and is showing us very, they wanted to have a good outward performance. They wanted to impress people. They had religious pride. But in that, you've noticed there's never ever any concern about God and what he wanted and what he was doing and wanted to do in people's lives. They were based totally upon impressing people that Jesus There's a a marvelous parable that Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 18. It's about a Pharisee and a tax collector or a publican. And I'm sure you know that story well, how they went up to pray and and the the tax collector or publican said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. But the Pharisee stood there... Luke 18, verse 11 says, And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about or to himself, depending on which translation they have, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers and evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Proud of himself. He was praying to himself. His God was himself. His goal was just to look good amongst other people. The Bible tells us very clearly Jesus Christ came into this world to complete or fulfill the law, the old covenant. We are now under the new covenant. The old is obsolete. The the Bible tells us over in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that what happened to Israel was done to be an example to us Because Jesus fulfilled it. Since Jesus Christ came into this world, all of the ceremonies, all of the rituals, all of the things that the Jewish people did were replaced with the reality of Jesus Christ because He fulfilled them. Now there is absolutely no religious activity anybody can do, no ceremony, no rituals, no acts, no kinds of observation that has any value. But yet today, many do many things in religious activities, trying to please themselves, and they all the time are saying, look at me, how spiritual I am. John MacArthur makes a very wonderful point here, and let me read his words. He says, no matter how much a person may claim to be a Christian, no religion that relies on the flesh or promotes religious conceit of any thing has any part in Christ. Christ accomplished the perfect and completed work of salvation, and the only work can't be, can be done spiritually to have benefit of a person. No act, no ritual, no ceremony, no depraving of the body or self-sacrifice can add the smallest value to what Christ has done. Instead, everything motivated by the flesh, flesh-orientated, is offensive to God and brings his condemnation rather than his approval. And these Judaizers, these legalists, were promoting their religion, promoting the external, and saying, Look at me, look at how spiritual I am. And God condemns that. Notice also these Judaizers, these legalists, compromised. Verse 12 tells us that they avoided persecution because their religion was acceptable to people. True Christianity brought persecution. The cross was and still is offensive. By trying to make Christians compromise and be just like other religions would make them acceptable and have no problem. The Judaizers were saying, let's just have this big tent of religion. Aren't we wonderful? But the cross, this cross, the one behind the screen, you can't see up there on that leaded glass, the cross says Jesus is the way. Religion says the more the merrier, but Christianity talks about the cross, talks about a new creation, talks about an, interchange in an inner person within a person. Religion talks about the exteriors and impressing people. The cross is offensive. Paul writing to the Church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1: 123 is the cross. Christ crucified is a stumbling block to the Jews, and it's foolish to Gentiles. Back in chapter five, verse 11 in the book of Galatians here, Paul said the gospel is offensive. It offends people. People are offended when they're told they are sinful. People are offended when they're told you can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. People are offended when they hear that Jesus is the only way. People are offended when they hear that hell is real and that's where they will end up without Christ. People are offended when they're told their religious and their practices are of no value eternally. And the Judaizers here, these legalists in front of Paul and the church there at Galatians, were willing to compromise so that they would fit in with the crowd because the gospel was offensive. They wanted it to fit into their society. Again, let's just all get together. Let's avoid this bloody Jesus and the cross. It was the blood that Christ shed on that cross that offers us forgiveness and salvation. But sadly, times haven't changed much. The world doesn't care if people are religious just as long as Christ or the cross is left out. A little religion is good for everybody, isn't it? The cross, dying on the cross was the most cruel, agonizing way to die. It was reserved for the worst of all criminals. It wasn't a pretty sight at all. It was quite gruesome. It was designed to degrade, to humiliate, and bring shame upon the person on that cross. Their nails were in their hands or their wrists. Their feet were nailed to that cross. They were stripped naked. People came by and cursed them and spat on them. Nothing more degrading or humiliating than that. Cruel. Anyone would have to go through it. And our Savior went through it for us. That cruel symbol of a cross today is is literally a wonderful symbol. So many people have it hanging from their neck. It's it's literally a sign of how much God loves us. That He's willing to come in the form of a man and die on that cross. You see, it's at the cross where we find forgiveness. It's the cross that offers salvation. It was the death of Christ on that cross that provides for each of us eternal life in heaven with our God and our Savior. We can't achieve it on our own. No religion can offer anybody that. Oh, religions try. Oh, absolutely. But none, and I repeat, none can provide that perfect substitute. Jesus was that perfect substitute. God in the flesh on that cross. The Judaizers wanted to compromise so that they weren't persecuted. They also were literally phonies, he tells us there in verse 13. They had a form of religion. They wanted tents. It it's all show. They wanted others to follow. They wanted others to join. But he here tells that their life condemns them because they were dishonest. Oh, they had all the religious activities. They did the religious things. They were designed to build them up, to give them pride in their religion to bring them personal praise because they were so religious, but what they did could not and would not ever honor God. Paul then goes on to contrast that with how Christians are to boast in the cross. And when he talks about the cross, I think he means more than just a wooden cross. It's the whole plan of redemption, the whole process Of what Christ did for us. It's a picture though of the cross. On the death on that cross that accomplished the atonement for our sins. Christ taking my place. Do you grasp that this morning? Christ on that cross took your place. My place. He paid for my sins and your sins. It's the cross. Brother Steve sings a song, and it's a beautiful song. It's still the cross. And how every time I hear him sing that or had sung somewhere else or one like it, I remember again, it's going back to the cross where I have found forgiveness, where I am guaranteed freedom, where I am guaranteed eternal life. It's the cross. It has always been the cross. It's the message here of Paul. It's the cross. It's, it's literally the, the entire message of the New Testament. The cross. Christ came into this world. Born this... We celebrate His birth this time of the year. Born as an infant. Lived a perfect life. Went on that cross. Sacrificed for me. For you. Paul was saying in this text to the churches of Galatia and the churches to us today... We are to boast in the cross of Christ and what he did there. If you notice the term, the words here, Paul says, May I never. Now, the Greek term there is the strongest negative that they can have. Those of you who have King James says, God forbid. That was a terminology that people uh, in the 1600s understood very clearly. It was the strongest way you could say, never. But a little tra- literal tr- translation says, may it never be so. And what Paul is saying, don't ever boast in anything except what Christ did on that cross. Boast about it. Make much of it. Get excited about it. Be consumed by it. Paul says, boast in that crucifixion. Boast in the risen Savior. Paul in his life had been through a lot. If you're familiar with your scripture, if you're familiar with Paul, he he lived by the world's standards. He was a Pharisee. And he had it all religiously before he met Jesus. But at this point in Paul's life, the only thing that mattered to him was Christ and the cross. He was what it stood for and who the cross stood for. All else was unimportant to him. He says there, the world has lost its appeal to me and its attractiveness to me. He says, my body bears the marks of Christ. When we know that he was beaten, he was stoned, he was flogged, he was put in jail because of preaching the gospel. He told Timothy... 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 is my brief translation of it. If you're going to live for Christ, expect to suffer for Christ. And you and I today cannot and need not be surprised if you ever suffer for standing up for the gospel of Jesus Christ and proclaim the truth of the gospel and stand and preach the cross and it's always been the cross and always will be the cross. Paul's Again, speaking of that in Philippians chapter 3, after he talked about his pedigree and how much he had when he was a Pharisee, and then he says in verse 8, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, garbage, that I might gain Christ. Everything else to Paul. Was so inferior to knowing Christ and the cross where he died and suffered. The cross that had been a stumbling block for Paul at one time became the focus of his message. Without the cross, the benefits of Christianity are worthless. You see, Christ died for our sins, it was the cross. On that cross, He gave us deliverance from sin, victory over sin. It's the cross where we find forgiveness. It's where salvation is provided. For Paul, it was all about Jesus. It was all about the cross. It's the cross that brings us hope. It's the cross and its truth that brings us understanding of exactly what Jesus did there for us. It's at the cross we remember our need of a Savior, all-sufficient Savior, and it's finished. Legalism and religion doesn't do that, and it never can do that. Religion and legalism appeals to our pride, our our sinful nature. Uh, The world and the cross ignores all that and does away with that. Paul says there in verse 14 the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. He said it earlier in chapter 2 verse 20 when he says I have been crucified with Christ and nevertheless I live. And the life I live now I no longer but I no longer live but Christ lives in me and the life I now live in the body I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, as far as I'm concerned, the world is dead. It offers me nothing. And I'm as good as dead to the world. Paul was saying what counts today is that Christ has changed one's life, my life. Christ changed me. Christ changed some of you and he can change you. He can change you from the inside out. Legalism, religion cannot and will never do that to you. What we need is a change of heart. By putting our faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. What He accomplished on the cross. That's what counts. He says there again, what counts is being a new creation. Being born again. John chapter 3 and Jesus to Nicodemus. You must be born again. You have to have a new birth. You have to... Changed from the inside out. Not just remodeled or reformed, but changed. A new creation. Christianity isn't about just trying to be better or a nicer person or being more religious. It's being a new creation. Christ transforms us. A new life. It sets us free. It sets us free from the guilt of past sins. It sets us free from condemnation. It sets us free so life no longer is meaningless to us. It sets us free from a hopelessness and an emptiness that is so common in our world today. Over and over again we meet people that have no motivation in life, no purpose in life, don't even know why they're here. When when Christ can put in us a purpose and a design and a desire in this life and, and fulfill how and why God created us. He designed us to be exactly like we are so that we will have the most fulfilling life this world offers. We will have purpose. There's joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit that comes to us when we accept what Christ did on the cross. Literally, we become alive from within. Again, many years ago, a well-known evangelist by the name of Sam Jones said he explains the cross this way. He said, I was walking around with dirt in my pocket, and Jesus came to me and said, Sam, I'll be glad to exchange your dirt for diamonds. And he said, who wouldn't do that? And he says, that's exactly the way it is here. With sin in your life, you're walking around as if you have dirt in your pockets. And Jesus comes to us and says, let me give you my everything. Let me give you peace. Let me give you meaning. Let me give you purpose in life. The cross means that anyone can be made new. They can be made a new creation. They can be given new life. That means those of us who know Christ can boast in the cross and say, look what Jesus did for you and me on that cross. It's what Christ did. The greatest day of a person's life is when they accept for themselves what Jesus did on the cross, what He accomplished on the cross. And when we accept that, we become a new creation. We become born again. There's a spiritual birth. And my question to you as I conclude is has that happened to you? Was there that day in your life when you said yes to the Spirit of God who was speaking in your heart and accepted what Jesus did on that cross for your very own? Have you done that? Or are you hanging on to religion? What you were raised with, what people think, What is politically correct today? Are you hanging on to anything? I want to encourage you, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and accepted for what He did on the cross as your very own, to do that this very day. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation, and I want to encourage you to just walk this aisle and say, Pastor Darrell, today I want to acknowledge Jesus as my Savior. Shall we stand as we sing? If you please be seated for a moment, even if you're a visitor or a guest with us, we have some business that we just need to take care of for a moment. Uh, The first order of business, and uh, all this comes from committees, and we just need to vote. The the first vote is on the budget for um, next calendar year. And it's been out for a couple weeks. Uh, All in favor of accepting that as a budget, uh, say aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, that's carried. The second is that. you had a, news- a newspaper. You had a paper that was handed out last week of uh, committees and people to be on committees for next year. Uh, and again, we need to take a vote on that. Uh, all in favor of accepting that, say aye. Aye. Opposed? All right, that is carried. We have one last piece of business. Brother Ted, would you please come? Let me introduce this. This is the spokesperson for the search committee, all right? Back in
1: September, can you everybody hear me? Okay. Take that, you can. Now, can you hear me? <laughs> back, in, back in September, uh, we, wa- we were all s- sitting here in church. And Pastor Darrell dropped a bombshell and said, uh, I've decided I want to retire. And so from that, uh, there was a search committee formed to search for a new pastor. Now, I am pretty certain that not a one of the five said, hey, pick me, pick me. (laughs) What a daunting task it was. But... You have, to, you have to feel honored that God selects you for those jobs. So uh, Elaine Saxon was uh, one of them. Uh, Dwight Reddick was one. Uh, Doug Aiken, uh, Janice Ladd, and myself. We spent hours, and when I say hours, I mean hours, of praying and uh, our first meeting, uh, somehow I got picked to be the spokesperson for this, for this job. Uh, one of the first things to me that made sense was, when I look at our government, if you want anything to die, you put it on a committee. And, and our words were, we were the pastor search committee. Did not make sense to me because uh, we wanted action. And so I said, let's make it the pastor search team. And all of us are team members in this. So uh, we prayed and and uh, spent hours in heartfelt think- thinking about what God wanted us to do. Well, the first thing that came out was we realized that what we were looking for, we might have right here in our midst. So with that, we, uh, we started discussing, and we, we finally came up with everybody was in agreement that uh, Pastor Steve should have considerations. <laughs> so... <laughs> With our investigation, uh, we we brought Steve in and interviewed him. Every question we had, he had answers. Which told us that he's the man that we want to bring to you and I believe we'll vote on the 22nd of December. We'll vote and uh, hopefully at that time, we will start looking for a uh, new music minister. Uh, leave it all up to you. Uh, uh, the pastor search commi- team has has some some things that we're we're going to forward on to to the deacons uh, regarding uh, what we've discovered, but uh, we highly recommend uh, Steve and, and uh, he, he's the one we chose. So thank you.
0: Uh, got being much prayer for the next two weeks. Uh, your votes uh, will very important. It will be a closed vote. Uh, I just know it's going to be more people voting than voted for me. There were 22 votes that day. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, 22. Uh, I must admit the committee interviewed me, asked me my opinion. They didn't listen. I do. I want to say seriously in, in, in this. You've gotten to know Steve. You know his style of preaching very different than mine. But I have said this to everybody, and I want to say it to all of you: the things that go on behind the scenes that you don't see, Pastor Steve is better than I am. I can say that with all the confidence in the world. He's um, just just be prayerful about what what is uh, going on. Uh, I have the. Greatest expectation that what God has started here, He's going to keep doing long after I'm gone. Um, and I'm so thankful. Um, let's pray. Father, I just say thank you for these few minutes we've had together. I pray again for the transition and for the vote that will be coming. I ask for your spirit to speak to our hearts so that there is a confidence uh, and a comfortability within the church family when this post takes place, knowing that your will and your guidance is in the midst of all of it, and help us always to honor you with our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.